This is AutoLine This Week, the show that gets you inside the global automotive industry. Underwriting for the production of AutoLine This Week has been provided by RSM. for challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, audit, tax, and consulting for the middle market. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. Wanna thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. Today we're going to be talking about new ways of getting innovative, new ways of doing design. I've got three people who really know this topic, including Rich Sheridan from Menlo Innovations. We also have Litz Wetzel. She is in teaching design at Lawrence Technological University. And we've got Brett Smith from the Center for Automotive Research in Ann Arbor. And good morning, everybody. Morning, John. Good morning, John. Good morning. Great to be here. Rich, let's kick off the conversation with you. And what I'd love to hear is your viewpoint of how to do new ways of getting innovative and doing design. I mean, the automotive industry is extremely conservative. It, it has methodologies that it really sticks to. But I know you've got a different way of approaching it. Why don't you tell us about that? Well, John, we're a software design and development firm here in downtown Ann Arbor. And uh, we started about 20 years ago with a focus on what we call ending human suffering in the world as it relates to technology. And most of us have experienced that. Probably for many of us, it occurs in our cars in that infotainment display that none of us can figure out. And for us, uh, we didn't want to design and build software that frustrated the people who were intending to use it. And so our approach was to create a whole new team. We call them high-tech anthropologists. And their job is to observe the people who will one day use the technology in the native environment they'd be using it to learn their workflow, their habits, their goals, design the mistakes out of the system so that by the time the software gets released, and let's face it, most software tortures people. But in our world, we can release and we can design and release software that isn't actually intuitive, that people understand it, not because we're genius designers, but because we use empathy to understand the people we intend to serve. Interesting. We'll have to get more into that. I, this isn't something I expected, you know, empathy and uh, anthropology. I, I didn't think that would come into the discussion, but we'll get into more detail. Brett, let's go to you. I know this is a topic that's near and dear to your heart and one that you've been working on a long time. It is, John. And, and you mentioned the auto industry being a little more, a lot more cautious than others. And over the last seven or eight years, we've seen so much of the, the entrepreneurial ship from, from the West Coast, from Silicon Valley, come out and, and, and be seen as kind of that model. Rich's company sort of shows that model. But as you look at the car companies, for good reason, they've been very conservative, very cautious. Now they're trying to integrate new ideas and new ways of doing it, more open innovation, more sharing. And it's a real challenge for this industry for very good reasons. And Liz, I'd love to get your viewpoint on it. I mean, you're, you're dealing with the next generation of designers coming in. 
What, what kinds of things are you trying to get that? And you've got a, a tremendous background in the automotive industry too. We should let the viewers know. So how do you take what you learned from the conservative old, you know, methodology in the auto industry and unleash a new generation of designers? Well, John, as you can imagine, the young people are all for what's new, right? They embrace newness technology. So they are, they are open to it. Um, and just to let you know as well, even in the old uh, automotive world, we were really embracing new ways of doing things using design centric thinking to really guide before we even put pen to pencil or pen to tablet. Um, before a designer even gets started, there's a whole lot of work that goes on beforehand. And uh, what we do is the first thing that happens is a designer, whether it be a student at Lawrence Tech or a designer in the industry that we're seeing now, before they even start, we do a lot of research on what is the brand and the value that brand brings to people. And every brand targets a, a specific customer. So there's a lot of work that's done to really understand who these people are, psychographic, demographic, what are their beliefs, what do they value, what are they looking for in an and experience. And so we look at those things very carefully. And then what we do is we do a lot of work um, to predict the future. And we put together presentations that look at trends in automotive, trends, design, technologies, um, social uh, trends that are happening, what's going on in the world. And we put together presentations that get people in the right frame of mind before we even start. Now, the thing that we do at Lawrence Tech is for the students, we ask them before they start, again, to really understand those things, really understand what the brand is, what the value that brand brings to people, and really understand that customer and what gets them excited, what kind of experience are they looking for. And then, you know, what's happening now with technology as an enabler for designers is unbelievable. Um, it's enabling designers to get what's up here become real faster, more efficiently than ever. And Rich, what Liz is talking about there of really understanding the brand and all that, that, that sounds like it's getting back to what you started talking about of, you know, discovering an empathy with uh, the end customer and, and turning your designers into anthropologists. Yeah, I think we've, um, we're, we're waking up to a reality that has always been there as a society. Uh, and one that John Nesbitt, who was a great futurist, he wrote a, a terrific book back in 1982 called Megatrends. And he said the greatest advancements that are going to occur in the 21st century, and he's writing this 30 years in advance, are not going to occur because of technology, but because of a greater understanding of what it means to be human. And I think that's really where we're at right now. I, I think all of us, uh, heck, even getting set up for this particular session, we're all being challenged by technology all the time, all the variations on a theme that we have, the different kind of phones and devices. And quite frankly, our expectations as, uh, as uh, consumers of these products, whether our vehicles, our phones, and other devices we have in our lives, is shouldn't they be able to work together? Shouldn't one seamlessly be able to connect to one another? Shouldn't it work the way I expect it to work? And this has made the job of the designer much harder. I think the great opportunity that exists for us is realizing that 
the best ideas and designs actually live in the minds of the people who will one day use those designs. If we can develop methods to understand them, we will actually make our lives as designers that much better because ultimately, I don't care what discipline you're in, we all want to design things that thrill the people we intend to serve. We want people to come back later and say, I love this product. You make my life better because of it. And that really goes back to design. Yeah, no, great point there. Brett, you had mentioned earlier that the, the auto industry has very good reasons why it is slow, conservative, moving in, you know, a, a very, you know, measured way. Why is that? And, and what are some of the things that they're trying to change now? So, John, that, that's the auto industry operates on a very different clock speed than the technology industry. And the two of them try to combine. Rich just talked about our, our phone should be working with our car. And it should. Unfortunately, cars are on, in production for eight to ten years in some some programs. That ability to make a product that is good now, but also is connectable six, seven, eight years down the road when we don't even know what that connectivity means is so challenging for this industry. And then you layer on top of that this idea that we're putting products on the road that can greatly impact someone's life in a positive way, certainly, but also crashes, accidents, and other things that go wrong. That level of safety is so high for this industry. And that barrier of understanding that your product is going to have to meet safety standards, whereas a lot of other technology development doesn't have that standard. So we tend to working at different clock speeds, all of which uh, Liz and, and, and Rich, both their companies try to match that and try to challenge that and come up with ways but it's going to continue to be a challenge going forward. And and what things do you hear from automakers specifically that they'd like to try to change and, and not give up this, this safety approach that they've had? Yeah, so it's 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 kind of fun to watch this from a distance. At Center for Automotive Research, we get to take a step back. We're, we're not necessarily involved in it, but it's it's interesting to watch. And you, I watch the companies try to emulate what's happening in Silicon Valley or what's happening even in Boston, where, there's, where there seems to be this much more open innovation. Uh, I go back to, to um, Dieter Zetsche and Mercedes talking about, well, okay, tomorrow we're not going to wear um, ties and we're going to wear jeans, so we'll be like them in California. Um, that's not how it happens. And maybe it's not good that it happens exactly like it's happening in California because some of the things in open innovation work wonderfully for quick, fail fast, learn, start over again, fail fast, learn. But there has to be that, that rigor, that structure in the development process that make sure you get through those gates and you meet those standards. So it's a great combination of, of what's great in the open innovation versus, you know, the automotive industry has remarkably creative, remarkably gifted people in it that have, that have struggled and done very well in their struggles so to get creative products. But melding those two different ideas of fail fast versus making sure that you're, you're not spending too much money and that you're making a product that is survivable in the field. Rich, let's go into some specifics. When, when you talk about developing an empathy for the customer, when you talk about becoming, you know, almost industrial anthropologist to discover this, walk us through some of the, what are the paces? What, what are the things that you're doing differently? I mean, literally, physically at your location, what, what might you be doing differently from other companies? Well, one of the reasons we use the word anthropology is uh, it implies something. Anthropology is the study of people. 
And if you look at traditional anthropology, it is done out in the field. Uh, you know, the, uh, the PhD anthropologists probably spend time in Peruvian fishing villages and that sort of thing, studying people in their native environment. So that is a good part of what we do is get out into the world. Uh, I'll tell you a fun story in the automotive industry. We were engaged to design a new heads-up display for, a, for an upcoming vehicle. Um, it, one of the first things we do is experiment with things that might already be out there. So we went out and rented um, uh, a bumblebee, <laughs> a, a yellow Camaro with a heads-up display from Detroit Metro Airport. Um, I exerted my CEO authority, and I said, well, I better be the one who rents it. Uh, so it, it was a convertible. It was sun and more time. Uh, but, but my team wanted to see my first reaction to a heads-up display because I'd never, ever used one myself. And so we got in the car. It was rush hour. And anybody who knows rush hour in the Detroit area, the word rush applies because if you're not going at least 80 on I-94, you better get the heck out of anything but the right lane. And so... I get out of the airport, we turn on the heads-up display, and I'm just fascinated with it, and it's rush hour, and all I'm reporting, because what our team does is they say, think out loud, tell us what you're feeling, and we had two anthropologists in the car who probably are lucky to be alive today based on this experience, <laughs> and all I'm self-reporting is, oh, this is great, it's so easy to use, it doesn't affect my ability to drive at all, meanwhile, well, as I'm self-reporting, everything's going great, which could be exciting to a designer who believes that my self-reporting is actually uh, uh, the truth. What are the anthropologists seeing? They're seeing me weaving in and out of the third lane, going up into the, into the, uh, uh, onto the shoulder, back into the lane. They see cars zooming around me with angry looks on their faces because I'm going about 48 miles an hour in the fast lane. And here, though, I'm self-reporting. This is great. It doesn't affect my ability to drive at all. And meanwhile, they're clutching their hands because they're afraid I'm going to kill them. And so the point being, uh, as we went through the process of designing this heads-up display that is now out in the world in an actual vehicle, um, we want to see how do people, how do the people who will actually drive the car respond to it? Because as Brett was saying, uh, the advancement that occurs in my industry is often one that says more is better. If three features is good, five features is better, and seven features is excellent. Well, quite frankly, when it comes to safety in a vehicle, less is better. Let's put yeah. up the essential yeah. information. Yes. And, and so we had to start backing a lot of stuff off. And interestingly, in this particular project, they engaged a a world-famous industrial design firm who won the executive bake-off in the competition between our firms because they had put so many beautiful features and it wowed all the executive teams. But by the time the product got out into the field, having passed through the safety team of this automotive firm, guess what? Our design was the one it won because we had only put the essential things in. It might have actually looked boring to the executives, and they weren't thrilled that we hadn't used every pixel in the display of this heads-up display. And so the point being, you don't learn anything until you put it out in the field and see how the people who are really going to use it respond to it. Yeah. Liz, I'd love to get your feedback. I mean, you're, you're dealing with students, you know, who have... Uh, maybe not quite the experience that people that Richard are, are working with or that Brett is observing. How do you get your students to really start to understand brands and understand the customer and that sort of thing? 
Well, we don't we don't get to drive around like, <laughs> like Rich <laughs> with the students, but um, you know, we what we do is we tell them to just do some research. Um, we had a sponsored project with a company last fall, and they um, they came in and they did a big immersion about their brand for us, and they talked a lot about their customer and what kinds of things their customer values to create a, a great experience. You know, some customers, it's something, it's, it's more about value. Some people are about luxury and, and all these different customers have different values and they expect something different. Um, some customers do want more pizzazz. <laughs> it's like, look at me, look at all this stuff I've got, even though it really doesn't make the functional experience any better, or it might be even distracting as Rich said, some people still like it anyway, but then there are those who, you know, I just want, I just want to be able to control this thing and do a great job with this thing and drive the car uh, responsibly. Um, I don't need all that pizzazz. I just want to, to be able to function well and drive well. So you get different, different customers and different perspectives. And when we work with the students on different projects, they are exposed to these different people and personas. Um, actually, when we kick off a project, once they've learned about the brand and the customer, they create their own persona and they use that persona when they build their story. So they, they're not just designing a, an object or a project or a car or a, a mobility device. They're putting together a whole story as to how this is being used and they storyboard this out. So you see from when the person gets into the car, when they're in the vehicle, what they experience, and then when they get out of the vehicle. So it's a whole ecosystem of an, of an experience that's under the umbrella of a brand that serves a certain customer. Liz, is that different than when you went to school, design school? Uh, uh, what's different these days? Absolutely, it's different. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously there's the technology. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking yes. about the way that you approach teaching the students. Oh, yes, it's very different. We didn't think about customer use. It was always about what's cool. <laughs> what's cool to me as a designer, right? Right. I think this is cool, and so everybody else should think it's cool. And, and when you actually work and you start to have real customers that you're designing for, you start to learn that they're not all like me. <laughs> they're different and they all have different expectations. And as a designer, as a young designer, you're somewhat frustrated in the beginning. <laughs> How come they don't want that? How come they don't like this? Isn't this cool? But um, that's what's different today. I think the way we're teaching is very much what Rich talked about. Um, it's about having empathy and really understanding these people and designing something that makes their life better and brings joy to them and gives them a better experience at the end of the day. So yeah, that's, that is very different from when I went to school way back. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, let's talk about some of the things that you observed. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the tr traditional auto, auto industry would be like to be a lot more like Silicon Valley, uh, cranking up the clock speed as, as you were talking about. Do you see that happening, or can you give us a, an example of something that you thought went really well? Yeah, John, so it, it is, it's actually been interesting over the last six, seven years to watch the auto industry, traditional industry from Detroit, from Tokyo, from other places, or Toyota City, um, set up shop in Silicon Valley. I think they've learned, as they've done that, they've learned a few things. One is they've learned that, yes, there's a lot of creativity out there. There's a lot of opportunity out there. But there's also a big challenge 
in in harnessing that into the into, into how they operate back at the home front. I know I've heard many stories of, of companies that have tried to integrate or tried to take what they've learned in Silicon Valley and put it back into their Detroit offices or into their Munich offices or into their Volksburg offices. And and you see this this challenge of how do you bring a totally different culture into a, a very established culture and merge the two. And there have been some good examples of it happening. Um, there's probably been more examples of it not happening. And I think that's as the industry goes on, it's that ability to balance some of that fast fail idea with some of the traditional ideas that, that we have in this industry and the very creative parts of this industry that we have and loosening them up. And at the end of the day, yeah, it's a whole lot more than, than not wearing a tie and wearing jeans. It's about allowing some of your people to, to, to take those chances to fail, but to do it in situations where they aren't going to jeopardize a program or jeopardize something as you move forward. So fast failing, yes, but understanding that you have to keep those fast failures to a learning and contained environment. Do you think it is possible to change traditional culture or should you do things like create a skunk works or an offsite operation working on new technology? Yeah, so we've had a lot of discussions with companies that have tried the skunk works and then tried to bring it back in house. And almost inevitably it fails, but you can't survive alone on a skunk works. You need to figure out how to do the both merge them together. And Liz and the students she's working at want to work in a more open environment, an environment that, that is, allows them more creativity, but they also want to be able to work on automobiles and things. So how do you do that? Um, it's a real challenge for this industry, and it's one that is not easily resolved and, and isn't just we'll be like them or, or we'll make them more like us. It's something nebulous that, that you get over time, always focusing on the fact that your product is going to be out there on the road for a decade and a half, and it's going to be put people at risk if you make a mistake. Yeah, your Rich, your thoughts on that? Yeah, you you've got open work areas, right? In in Menlo Innovations, and what are your thoughts? Can can you change that big ship around and get a corporate culture that's been entrenched for decades to change? You know, we're <clears throat> we're seeing progress on this, John. Um, uh, even though the majority of our revenue is still earned from designing and developing software for other businesses, our culture has become interesting enough that we get about three to 4,000 people a year who come and visit, mm -hmm. see it, uh, come tour through it. Some of those companies have asked us to help them change their cultures. And so we're working with uh, a couple of automotive industry companies, uh, one at the OEM level and one at the, uh, uh, tier one level, who are actually making changes because what they find out is, and some of this is shedding that old mindset, and that's in individuals. That's people deciding, you know what, I think the change can start with me. It's not easy. I can assure you, this is, you know, changing human behavior is one of the hardest things to change on planet Earth. But when there's a will, perhaps when there's even an outside motivation, or perhaps one is finally waking up saying, you know what, I don't think the, think the way we've always done things is going to work going forward. And uh, when that old guard starts to change their mind with them, new guard starts to arrive with new ideas, people often are open to the kind of changes that we might bring. And so we bring in some very simple approaches to helping corporations change their culture. 
And Liz, I, I'm sure you see it all the time. You're, you're, you've got these young, hot students. They, they're out to change the world, and then they go into a big corporate culture, like at a car company, and you know they end up designing, you know, the bezel of a tail lamp. You know what? I think there's a misconception out there. Um, I think the auto industries are really turning around. Yeah. I, you know, I, I retired from GM uh, about a year ago. But when I was there, I mean, um, there was a lot of openness about change and changing the culture and realizing that the way we did things in the past, we're not going to work anymore. And so, in fact, I have to say, um, some of these companies, you know, there's all this 3D printing and, and uh, fast prototyping and things like that. We've been doing it for 20 years. <laughs> so um, I, I think there's more hope than what everybody thinks right now. I think that auto companies realize that, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a lot of competition out there. We have to move faster. And the other thing is technology is a huge enabler for engineering, for designers, um, things like uh, virtual reality and, and being able to visualize designs um, much sooner than having to wait for a full-size model. I mean, we still do both, but there are tools out there that are enabling us to start to prototype quicker so we can fail quicker. We put it together, we take a look at it, we test it out. It doesn't work, we go back again. You know, there's 3D printing. Um, there's uh, um, uh, additive manufacturing, which is basically there's, there's programs for designers where you can create a design that's based on forces and, and loads and come up with something that's really amazing it's beautiful and yet it's structural. It's just the tools that are out there right now are enabling the auto automakers to move much faster than they used to. That's so good to hear, Liz. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, Brent, we're getting down to the very end here, but Liz just said, I think, in a, a very important word, fail. You know, as you know, in Silicon Valley, failure's not, you know, uh, that big of a problem, you know? Are you seeing the traditional auto industry more open to failure to get to a solution? I am. And I agree with what Liz said about the changes happening in this industry. And it's it's happening in spots and places um, much quicker than other places. But it is happening. Yes, the industry, 20 years ago, if you failed on something, you were probably in trouble with your career. Now it's just a blip on the, on the radar. Um, it's still different but yeah, different than, than other industries, other areas, but it's a much more, much more enabling environment than it was five, 10, 15 years ago. Well, that's great. I'm glad we ended up on a positive note there. So <laughs> failure, empathy, anthropology, those all go into my, my discussion uh, terminology for this discussion. But Rich Sheridan, Liz Wetzel, Brett Smith, thank you so much for your time today. Very interesting discussion. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Underwriting for the production of Autoline this week has been provided by RSM. Prepare for challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, Audit, Tax and Consulting for the Middle Market.